Hello and welcome to the Clinical Audit and Improvement Podcast from AMAT, the audit management and tracking tool which is developed in partnership with our users. My name's Dom Conlon and in this episode I'm going to be learning all about how roles have changed within clinical audit. I'm joined by Zoe Lowe and Diane Lynch. Both have seen a fair few changes in the time that they've been with the NHS. So firstly, hello to Zoe, who joins us from Barnsley NHS Foundation Trust, where she's the Deputy Head of Clinical Effectiveness, having joined the NHS in 2001. Over the past few years, Zoe has been heavily involved in the redesign of the governance processes around Clinical Audit, NICE and ENSAPOG. In April 2021, she spoke at the Enquican meeting regarding the improvements they had made, which include the introduction of a locally developed assurance assessment. And hello also to Diane, who is the Head of Clinical Effectiveness at the Dudley Group NHS Foundation Trust. That's the role she's been doing for the last five years. But she began her career in 1998 as a junior, collecting notes in her first clinical audit department. From there, she worked to become a clinical audit manager in 2008 and has worked for multiple providers and commissioning organisations. Diane always aims to make the department she works in as productive as possible, which sometimes involves a passion for moving clinical audit from paper-based to digital systems. So now, whilst Barnsley and the Dudley Group, as we've kind of been talking before we started this, are both acute organisations, I've learned enough in my very limited experience doing these kind of podcasts to know that no two places are ever the same. So with that in mind, let's get an idea of what clinical audit roles were like when you both were brand new to the job. And I thought maybe, Diane, you could kind of kick us off and if you can think that far back. <laughs> <laughs> so if I think back to the very beginning of my career, it was a completely different picture to what it is now. Um, so we had um, much bigger teams to start with. We walked in and there were so many people. You've got seniors, you've had the juniors, you've had the supervisors, and it was just massive teams. I think there was about 16 of us when I first started. Wow. Um and there was, we literally just did, it was called medical audit at the time. So it was just the consultants that were coming along and doing their audits. Um, but as we, as we move through the years, as we move through the years, um, we began to get, so we turned to like multidisciplinary audits as well. Um, the, the, the type of work we did, as I said, was just medical audit. So we was just literally um, looking at the care of the patients within the trust. There was no nice guidance. Um, the lay of the land has changed dramatically now that we kind of, we're not just clinical audit, we're clinical effectiveness. So we have to look after all the audits, the nice guidance, NC pod. Um, we've now started taking on the HSIB reports as well. Um, we did some of the CQC stuff as well, um, not a lot, um, but we, we did some. Um, and it's the reporting, the reporting's got ridiculous. Um, when I first started, it was just a, a quick audit report of what actually the audit entailed and what the results were. But now we're having to look at like the quality assurance moving forward um, and evidence in everything that we do. Um, I write about about six reports a month um, to the board, to the quality committee, to the audit committee, and that's without the individual specialty audit reports we do as well. So there's there's a lot of reporting that we have to do. Wow, and with a smaller team as well, gosh. Yeah. 
<coughs> sorry, I think I think we've seen that. It's uh, it's really interesting listening. I've been making notes as we've been chatting. I think the first thing would be how we've actually come into this in a very similar way. Um, when I first started in audit, I was finding notes for patients' audits and came in as an administrator, quite quickly realised that it kind of suited my personality and, and, you know, I like to do the tick boxes and the checking and did we do what we said we were doing? It's kind of very ordered and it kind of suited me quite a bit. But I think the team, you're right, I think our team was a little bigger as well, but we actually were split. We were a district clinical audit department at that point. So we had some staff that looked after primary care and we also had some staff that looked after acute. And over the time that got split up and you're right, it's gone down over the years. But we actually look at the same sort of thing that you do, but when you're talking about NICE and then put an audit, we throw the sequins into the mix as well. So yeah, the sequins anyway. shed, yeah, so we look at we look at some of those as well and the reporting has gone up. I mean we will we didn't used to report um, formally at all, but we do so now. Sort of subspecialty level um, to business unit level and up to our clinical effectiveness group. But again, when you were talking about medical audit and no NICE guidelines, when yeah. I actually think back, there was this whole thing about a literature, literature search. Let's do a literature search. Well, we don't kind of do that anymore. That It's kind of not there because it's these are the guidelines and this is what we're measuring against. But when I think about the outcomes of the audits back then, there'd be like a really lovely presentation that you know people would do and there'd be graphs whizzing in and out and all these different transitions and it, and it looked fabulous. But when you got down to the nitty gritty and you looked at the outcomes of the audit, the recommendations and what they were actually going to do about it, nobody followed up on those action plans. N- nobody kind of went back and tracked that. And I think the whole process of the governance around it has just developed significantly over the last few years. I mean, I, I, I don't know how many you've said, you, like you do six reports a month and it's, our, our team, I think we stand, we've just got some vacancy at the moment. We stand at 10.1 whole time equivalent at the moment with the new additions. Um, but the team, they've been working really hard to sort of like get things completed up to Christmas. And when we go to our uh, clinical effectiveness group in um, January, we're taking 52 projects that have been completed within October. So it's a, a huge amount of stuff that's going through and that's just the audit side of things. I was just going to say, I have to agree, Zoe, um, you know, the the calibre of the audits now is completely different to when we first started. So the, the doctors will come in, they do their data collection, they put the nice presentation together, like you said, and it will get presented and that will be the end of the audit and it will just closed and then we'd move on. And then if another doctor come in, they would do the real audit. But that was very, very rare because everyone had something else in their mind that they wanted to do. So it was kind of the audit cycle just stopped once the presentation was done because that yeah, there's no so what yeah exactly and and that was the norm wasn't it back then that that was how the audit was completed whereas now you have to make sure that you've got your two collections of data your improvements your recommendations are in there and then all your actions are closed before you complete the audit so the time has changed but I still think we've still got the issue that the recommendations are very woolly so they you know people the junior doctors love to say their action is going to be we're going to present the audit well what that doesn't make a difference does it to the patient's care um so we're trying to work with people now to make sure that the actions that we have got 
are valid and can be taken forward and make a difference to um, the care of the patients. But back then, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't thought of. You, you said about the governance. We we didn't have governance. We never had to take it to any meetings. <laughs> I think I think it's given us more work, but oh yeah, I, I, w- I would I would say for uh, and I, I don't like to speak on behalf of the team, but I, I will say I think they feel that they've got. Um, the job is more, they, they can see the difference that they're making when they work with the teams with the actions. So it's like we, we had um, an, an audit and we could see that there was a problem mm-hmm. and one of our facilitators worked really closely with the team and they figured out what was going wrong in the process. It, it was like a system thing. We, we couldn't access appointments far enough forward. So And they figured it out and they made a change to it and you can see over the like the last few cycles that it's, it's going up. And for... For one of the members of the staff to actually see that that's the difference that that audit has made, and it, and it's you can, it's visible, it's you, you, it's tangible, it's something you can actually put your finger on and go look at the difference that that made. It, it's great not only for the trust but for the clinical audit staff as well. But again, not clinical audit staff. And I think I, I don't know if you find this. We get called a lot of different things. At the minute, we're clinical effectiveness, we work quality assurance and effectiveness. It's but we will always be clinical audit people. You can't get away from it. It's kind of what. It's yeah. like also known as clinical audit because you, you keep going back to that core business, don't you? Yeah. So, like, if I meet new people in the trust and I'll say to them, they'll say, who are you? Then I'll say, I'm the clinical effectiveness manager. And they say, well, what's that? I'll say, well, I'm the audit manager, just to make it a little bit easier. Yeah. But I always seem to revert back to saying that I'm the audit manager, not the clinical effectiveness lead. And I, I don't know, maybe it is because people understand audit more than they understand clinical effectiveness. And now with the QI teams as well, the quality improvement teams, then that's kind of just messed everyone's heads up, I think, because now they see us as two completely separate teams that we do completely different stuff. But ultimately, we're all quality improvement and people just don't get that. You know, our trust at the moment is trying to encourage people to use quality improvement. Well, hello, we're a team of quality improvement facilitators. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's the thing of quality improvements are a part of clinical audit, isn't it? It's yeah, a, a process. Of, and it's interesting, on previous podcasts we've had this, where we've had guests questioning the the term of clinical audit and saying, well, you know, maybe we need to change the language around it or whatever. So it's really interesting that you're both saying you've got the new titles, but you're still kind of going, this is what we do. <laughs> and, and being proud of, of that term, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think when you say when you say those words, clinical audit, and then you feel like you've always got to do the add-on of, but we also look after NICE and NC yeah. and yeah. and because you don't actually want pigeonholing just into the thing. But yeah. I think when it comes to uh, quality improvement and when we talk about the, how we explain that, you know, clinical audit, the definition of it is, a quality improvement methodology but then you've got other things as well haven't you this pdsa and then the last few years or maybe the last 10 years or say we now have the model for improvement and that is what people are badging as quality improvement which is fine it's the lines in between it it's like everybody's there to improve it's fine and one might one might push the other and the other might push back in terms of help and what one will start off so you might do a quality improvement using model for improvement but actually that might need some audit at the other end of it or vice versa or we might do an audit 
And when we're looking at developing developing our action plan, we might see something and think, oh, actually, that really needs unpicking in a lot more detail. So it's not that another audit will do anything about it or a quick action. What you might want from quality improvement and model for improvement is some process mapping, some unpicking, some work around achieving behaviour change and things like that, which is much broader than what we do because then we're back on with the the start of a different project as well at another audit so it's right and proper to then sort of like dovetail in between them all yeah that's kind of where we're going as well so we we do the audit we get all the actions out of it and then we look at it and think well actually we could do the qi side of that so our actions will then be taken into the qi um improvement module on our mat so yeah i, I do think it's that they just go together don't they so yeah. Can I just so in terms of the roles that you play? So what 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 were the the roles back then when you first started? You'd have had managers, facilitators. You mentioned clerks and well juniors. I suppose that's yeah. the same as a clerk. So you had probably had more roles then. Do you have fewer now? Is it because it's- one person's doing more roles? Basically, is that part of it or not? I wouldn't say it's fewer roles. I'd say it's less people doing the same roles. So we'd we'd have yeah. we would have had more facilitators back then. We'd have the the um, support facilitators and the senior facilitators, and then we'd have support officers and junior admin. It was just a whole raft of people. Whereas now we'd probably get one administration assistant and then a couple of um, facilitators. Um, but obviously, with the the way of um, flexible working as well we've got a lot of part-timers as well so I've got um, two part-time facilitators and two full-times right yeah I think we're very similar um, in our setup of the establishment it's like so when I came into the department many years ago so we're talking what 20 20 years ago all that time that's back. not a long time it ago was, please I know, let's, I know. Let's it's so shocking. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a girl um, but uh, yeah, all that time ago when I came in, it, it was very similar. We had um, clinical effectiveness oh. officers. We, ju- we just um, lost you there a minute, Zoe. Oh, sorry. Um, sorry, can you say that again? Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. So when I first came into the department, the, this, the establishment and the way that it's set up is very, very similar to what it is today. So we had uh, clinical effectiveness um, officers and they had assistants. Uh, so those like defined roles and responsibilities. And it's the same today. That, that's what we have today. We have our facilitators and we have our assistants. So the names change from officer to facilitator. Yeah. But other than that, the structure is the same because it, it, it works well. So each facilitator will have a defined workload. So for our business units, you have business unit one, two and three, which is medicine, surgery, women's, children's and some other things in there. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff that don't fit in those boxes. So what we have done with the establishment recently is sort of redefine roles into uh, nurse-led priorities and then also corporate things um, that don't fit in with, uh, within those boxes. Um, but the establishment, again, it's remained the same. You've still got a facilitator and assistant under there because that's how it. That's how we found it works best for us. Um yeah. Yeah, I don't think we'd change it. We have looked at it a number of times, but we've never really come out with anything else that we'd that we've found that works. I was just wondering because what you mentioned earlier, Zoe, about the the visibility of of the effectiveness of your of your actions now when you're seeing things through. I was wondering whether because you're all doing more with less in a way, whether you're 
then responsible more for a single project throughout, whereas maybe 20 years ago you'd have passed on certain roles, certain duties to other people. So you wouldn't have had quite a, an overview of it. I mean, yeah. that, that might... Yeah, I think the, I think the word that you've hit on there, Dom, is that facilitation word, and that is still what we do. You know, yeah. we work very closely with the teams to support them, and we have that knowledge of audit and how to analyse. And there's a there's like a natural, you get this natural ability to know what the results are going to be when you're looking at data, because when you start analysing it, you can kind of see it as you're analysing it. So we're there to kind of pull those pull that information out and we can kind of start seeing the trends and things like that so we will then be sat with them asking the questions it's like oh look at that have you noticed that the majority of the ones that don't hit that standard are coming in out of hours or have you actually seen that that's always at this time of day or the, 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 like looking for the commonalities so it's not just about well 70 percent hit the standard it's like well what about the 30 that didn't what happened yeah. to them is there anything there and it's actually picking unpicking it with the teams so it's us asking those probing questions and and helping and helping with that and that's when we start to get to those those really key actions that make a difference but i think the key word again going back facilitation that's it i mean we've had this uh, we had a discussion i think it was on the last podcast about junior doctors we had um, uh, mohammed uh, abdulaziz on and he was talking about how important it was for him. He's a, he's a massive fan. He talked at our conference uh, last year, and he was talking about how important it was for him to work so closely with the clinical audit team. He said where it goes wrong is when you're left to do your own thing kind of thing. But then, um, but the problem of that, obviously, is is staffing levels and being able to, to kind of see these kind of projects through. Yeah, I mean, we run, we run like an open door policy, really. It's like we, we yeah. always sort of go in and say, if you need any help, you need to come to us. And like come to us at the start, don't come to us at the end, because every now and again we'll get an Excel spreadsheet sent to us. Um, and it's like, I've done this. And then you kind of look at it and you kind of then have to start unpicking it at the wrong end. Um, so we always do offer that uh, support right. right at the start and yeah. say, come come to us now. Um, the, the training, we used to do clinical audit training. We used to do it formally and face-to-face. And we haven't done that for a while. And it's something we'd like to restart um, internally because the, the one-to-one is great as well. But it'd be nice to be able to actually get to them and go, right, th- this is the training. Come to us with your project ideas and maybe do a little bit more with them that way as well. Um, I know my manager, um, Jan, is developing some how-to guides that they can access. And we're developing our internet content as well because it's one of those things that's been on the list that we've not actually been able to get to. But it's something that we're very mindful of is that support for the junior doctors and being there for them. But you're, you're right, it, make, it makes a massive difference when they do come to us. Dan, do you want to dive in yeah, here? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. so, um, so we've got the same kind of setup, um, but obviously because there's so many, so since we've had AMAT, our audits have like tripled. So, um, so we've got nearly like 400, 400 audits a year. I'm just thinking, how do you support all those? Because we we wouldn't support all of our audits. We'd offer um, assistance with some of the training, um, and we do encourage them to use the performer on our matter as well. Um, but we we just wouldn't have the resources to manage every audit that came through the door with support. If we've got capacity, then we'll offer that support. Or if we think it's um, a worthwhile audit for the trust because don't forget we get a lot of pet projects don't we from the junior doctors 
Um, so we kind of kind of sort through our audits to see which ones we're going to support. So I'll be interested to see how you support all of yours. Yeah, so we, we prioritise our audits into four different categories. So priority one through to four. So the priority one audits would be like the national, it's be the national stuff, the national programme. Um, so we always have a handle on that. Um, and we have a handle on most of them, uh, quite uh, quite a good hold on a lot of those um, because they're, they're, of, they're of importance. They, they make a, a massive difference. You've only got to look at something like NHFD over the years and the impact that that's had on uh, patient care. So we, we do have a good handle on those. The priori- priority two audits, we class those as things that we, we dictate locally. So our JAG audit program would fall into that because as a service, we decide to have an endoscopy scoping service. Yeah. We want drag accreditation, so we help the teams with those. Um, our priority three audits are local high priorities, so they will come from things like serious incidents when we want to make sure that it, it's done right, it's done in depth, it's thorough. Um, any high-level investigations or reviews, anything that we get asked for by the CQC, anything like that. And, and we will give like our full support to those as well. It's when you talk about pet projects, I smiled because we, we've changed the def, we've changed what we word them now. We kind of call them at local interest projects now. Um, and we will give them um, the, the general advice if they come to us. Um, we'll look over things if they would like us to do that. We've developed a very succinct standardised report template for them, which gives us as a trust what we need in terms of assurance that if they've found anything that needs addressing, that they've discussed it with their project supervisor and they've addressed anything that sort of like there's any associated harm with it. So if they find something in a local audit, we need to be assured that they've, they've done something about it and they've actually made a change. So it's very much about guidance and the uh, provision of some templates and some guidance around how to complete that. So they have a report that's completed and we as a trust have the assurance that they've completed it properly. That does actually sound like ours as well. We've got the levels, we've got level one for national audits, level two is the serious incidents and complaints and risks and anything else. Uh, We also put nice guidance in there as well. And then three is the junior doctor's audits or the regional audits because we really struggle to get feedback. There's so many regional audits and they never give us any reports back for those at all. But I think we've kind of got the same setup. Yeah, I think if we were to talk to our colleagues across the clinical audit community, we'd probably find that a lot of people are very similar in how they categorise those things. Um, It's interesting, the NICE guidance stuff, um, if they came to us with an audit around NICE guidance, it would depend what the baseline assessment said, depending on what level we gave it. So if if they wanted to come and audit a piece of NICE guidance, but our assurance assessment says that actually we're fully compliant and we've got no other intelligence that tells us that we have a problem with it. So if we check data and there's there's no incidents about it, um, that there's nothing coming through on the risk register or things like that around a piece of nice guidance, then we'd probably put it as a, as a priority for audit, a local audit. If we found that the, the um, compliance assessment for NICE said that we weren't fully compliant and there were some issues around it, then we'd probably put that as a three because, again, we want to dig into it a little bit more, in a bit more depth. Mm. I mean, it's not just the kind of change that we, that you've seen in your careers in the NHS, but the past couple of years because of COVID has changed things massively as well. Um, and, and now a lot of us are working from home. Has that affected things in terms of the role set up there? 
Has it, have you, has it made support more difficult or actually easier? We've got teams now, which in many ways is, is easier to reach people, isn't it? I think it's been a benefit but yeah. because it, it is much easier to meet someone like this, like we are now. Uh, yeah. We can all see each other. We, we can all wave. We, we can go through things. We can share our screens. So sitting down and going through a report with a consultant or whoever is, is doing it, a junior doctor, or going through an Excel spreadsheet to kind of give them some pointers on how they might be able to make it better for themselves, it, it's actually quite easy to do and they haven't got to come across the department we haven't got we haven't got to go to them it can all be done like this and, and I, I think I personally have found that to be of benefit to how we can actually progress with our audits I don't, what about you Diane yeah I'd, I'd, I'd have to agree as well I think it's the best thing they did was develop teams um because even like with some of the audit meetings we used to have we'd only get like three or four people attend face to face but uh, when, when you've got teams, people can just jump on anywhere they are. And, you know, we have like 50 people that attend our meetings now just because they can access it on Teams. So I do think it's made a difference. And plus with the medical students as well, before they even start at the trust, we're now having Teams meetings to go through the audits before they've even stepped through the door. Um, so, yeah, I do think that engagement has stepped up quite a bit, having um, the digital um, solutions from teams and stuff definitely can I ask you about when you say your audit meetings when you say your audit meetings is that like a, a is it a broad meeting to talk about audit or so it'd be our um because for each specialty we've got we've got specialty audit lead I don't know if you've got the same setup no, um, we, we we kind of um, when we changed our reporting framework and, and our governance processes, um, we kind of replaced the audit leads with the governance process because now we'll engage directly with the service managers um, and the clinical leads, right. and because we report everything up through the governance framework within the CBUs, that's where everything gets that's where everything gets escalated and reported. So it all gets done through through the management. All right, okay. So we, we do that as well. We've got the escalation process through to the divisions, but we've also got that accountable person within each specialty. So they will drive the um, audits forward within their specialty areas. So we have um, quarterly meetings with the audit leads. We've got about 27 in total. Um, and before, we'd only get five or six through the door um, and that was even bribing them with lunch off the um, sponsors. <laughs> so that, that did help a little bit before that. It was just like non-existent. We'd have to keep cancelling. But with teams, because people can log in wherever they are for 15 minutes between clinics and stuff, we've we've got all 27 that are attending the meeting. So, you know, I, I think it does have its benefits. Um, some of our bigger meetings, like audit committee and quality and safety, they're talking about going back face-to-face um or doing a hybrid but the hybrid doesn't work um so they did hybrid last month and now we're back to teams again this month because they said with everybody being external it's easier um but obviously some i think they're slowly moving back towards face-to-face meetings but i don't think it'll be a hundred percent we don't even work in the office we do one day a week in the office now which is fantastic because then you're not getting you're getting more work done you mean more productive because you haven't got the interruptions of the phone or people just landing on your door um so you know you can get that work done and you, you just discipline yourself to get it sorted and you still can have the meetings that you used to go to just without the interruptions so yeah I, i'm happy with teams and working from home 
No, that's really interesting. So I'm going to kind of um, throw one last question really at you both. And it's a magic wand question, which I, I really enjoy. It's uh, you're in control of, of everything now. You get to decide, make all the big decisions. How would you change teams, as in the roles of, of within your department? If you could, do, I mean, are you happy with them now? Or do you think actually this is what I would like to do if I could wave my magic wand? Zoe, you can go first. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Diane. Um, I think, do you know what? I think we're in, I feel like we're in a very good position at the moment. Um, We... We, we've just had um, some investment from the trust of another 1.4 whole-time equivalent members of staff, which has taken a lot of doing it. And it took, we, we've looked at different ways for divvying up the work to see if we could find a different way of doing things and, and sort of like fit everything in. But being able to redefine and shuffle people around and having that nurse-led priorities and then corporate and being able to put that workload into, put it into boxes like we like to do, but sort of like <laughs> define those workloads um, I, I feel like there's a lot we can do with what we've got now. I, I feel we've, we feel very lucky to have had that support. Um, and I think it's a case of onwards and upwards right. for the department at the moment. Um, I think the development that we've done on the governance processes over the years has had a massive, a massive change. It's sort of put the results and the reporting um, on the map, so to speak. It's like people now people are now reading the reports. Um, I think part of that is the assurance assessment framework that we put in place with our risk coordinator. So when we're actually looking at the outcomes of the audits, it's full assurance, significant assurance, limited or none. And we kind of tie that in with um, our risk, our risk framework as well. And uh, the NRLS degrees of harm, so it, it's good practice, and then associated risk, and we, we kind of really make them think about what that is. But they're getting they're getting read now those reports, and people are taking notice. And I think because we're looking into things a lot more, a lot more in depth now about what happens to the thirty percent that didn't get it, and those really good actions that we you don't get them all the time it would be great if you could but you don't get those like really yeah. key actions all the time but I, I think we're in a good place and I think if I had a wadget one just at the moment I'd put it away and use it in a few months time <laughs> just in case <laughs> I like it Diane so my magic wand would be that um, all of the trust knew who we was Um, because sometimes I feel like we're fighting battles and there's a lot of work that still goes on now um, that we're not involved in. So, so like, for example, we're we're doing the audits, but someone else is doing a deep dive on the same information and they don't come to us. So I'd just like everybody to know, wave that magic wand and say, ah, Diane, Head of Effectiveness, let's go to her if we need to do anything about quality improvement or the outcomes for the patients and just kind of marry all that information together because I still think even after all these years, audit is still very much in a silo on its own um, without the engagement of the rest of the trust. Um, and if it, I, don't, I think if it wasn't for the divisional groups that we have to go to to report the information, I don't think that people would take any notice of us really. So, well, yeah. It, no, it, that's it really... Yeah, that's really that's really interesting from both of you because it's quite positive. You seem very comfortable, both seem very comfortable in the way things are working. As I say, just awareness issues, but 
that's, that's I think that's certainly within the uh, scope of a magic wand, Diane. I think yeah. <laughs> I think definitely. Right. Well, thank you very much for both of you, uh, to both of you for for joining me and for giving me some really interesting kind of a. Uh, comments on on the on the subject today if any listeners out there would like to jump in and join in with another episode or suggest an episode then just drop me an email at podcast at amat.co.uk it's a platform for absolutely anybody you're not it's not about amat at all it's it's literally about clinical audit and that's what we're keen on um, helping to facilitate we use that word again there facilitate it so subscribe and share wherever you can and thank you very much for listening <music>